Good morning. Today's headlines, excessive heat will remain in parts of the U.S. through July 4th. We hear from a doctor who has some tips on staying safe in high temperatures. Two people are dead and 28 wounded after a shooting in Baltimore over the weekend. Police say half of the injured are minors. We have the details. Riders in France attack a French mayor's home and his wife and two young children sleeping inside. Meanwhile, a young firefighter loses his life battling an underground parking garage place. Chicago hosted its first NASCAR race over the weekend, and NASCAR debuted its first ever street course in its 75-year history. We'll hear from two of the drivers. As the nation prepares for its birthday, Entity's sister media held the America the Beautiful Festival, a celebration of America's heritage. We'll share the highlights. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, everyone. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Monday, July 3rd. And wait, who are you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I shaved. It, it was time. <laughs> I barely noticed. All right. Uh, and it's also his birthday. If anybody wants to send him some love on Twitter and stuff, yeah. just a sign note. Me first and then America next. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. We're also in the midst of the July 4th holiday weekend. And thousands of passengers trying to fly to their destinations are hitting a roadblock. The website FlightAware says at least 5,000 flights have experienced delays, while another 600 were canceled on Sunday. Strong storms from the Rockies through the Ohio and Tennessee river valleys and into the mid-Atlantic are to blame for the delays. AAA has predicted travel during the holiday weekend will break records. More than 50 million people are expected to hit the road and fly over the next few days. And on top of that, excessive heat will remain in the southwest United States through Independence Day. The National Weather Service says dangerously hot temperatures will reach into the triple digits. Temps in Las Vegas hit 112 degrees yesterday, while Phoenix, Arizona saw a high of 115. However, the extreme heat in the south will begin to ease a bit with highs dropping to the high 80s and low to mid 90s. While not a vast improvement, it does offer a bit of relief after the 100 plus temperatures in the Texas area. At least 11 deaths were blamed on heat related illness in Texas last week. We'll have some tips on how to stay safe over the 4th of July in the second half of the show, so stay tuned. But right now, we do have some tragic news to break. A shooting in Baltimore, Maryland yesterday left two people dead and 28 wounded. Police say around half the injured were under 18. The youngest was just 13. This happened at a block party just after midnight. The suspects are still at large. Police are asking for the public's help to identify the shooters and bring them in. Here's the story. In what Maryland authorities called insanity, the shooting took place after a neighborhood party and left an 18-year-old woman and 20-year-old man dead. This is a societal problem that we're dealing with, a mass shooting where a disagreement turns into 28 people shot. This is insanity. This cannot, cannot be the society that we are expected to live in. We have to do better. Police said they're searching for multiple suspects and are urging the community to come forward with any information or videos. They also said the injured range from 13 to 32 years old and that nine people were still hospitalized with wounds from gunfire as of Sunday afternoon, including a few in critical condition. 
The tragedy rattled the city of Baltimore, 40 miles north of Washington, D.C., at the start of the 4th of July holiday weekend. According to local media, the shooting took place shortly after midnight at a block party in the Brooklyn Homes neighborhood with hundreds of people attending. Investigators have yet to determine a motive in the attack or if any of the victims were targeted. The Secret Service evacuated parts of the White House yesterday. That was after agents spotted an unknown object on the grounds. Members of the D.C. Fire Department responded and determined the item did not pose a threat. The Secret Service says the evacuation was done as a precaution and President Biden was not at the White House at the time of the incident. Three businesses in Washington, D.C. were damaged after being hit with explosive devices early yesterday morning. Police say the first explosion went off around 4.30 a.m. outside an ATM at the Truist Bank. The suspect then took off in a vehicle. Several minutes later, a Nike store was hit. And then 10 minutes after that, the suspect threw a Molotov cocktail at a Safeway store. Police say it appears the suspect targeted commercial businesses and not members of the public. The businesses were all closed at the time of the attacks. There were no reported injuries. The Metropolitan Police, together with the ATF, has asked for the public's help in identifying a suspect. The $20,000 a $20, reward has been offered. And over to Europe, a brazen attack on a French mayor's home as his wife and two young children slept inside. NTD's Daniel Monaghan has more from the weekend of riots in the besieged country. This morning after footage of a burned out vehicle can't begin to tell the tale of the horror a French mom must have felt as rioters ram raided her house with a car at 1.30 in the morning on Sunday. Her two young daughters of five and seven asleep inside. The attackers then set the weaponized vehicle ablaze and lit up the family's car for good measure. Still not satisfied, the rioters chased the desperate mom and her two kids behind the house and into the garden. The arsonist allegedly shot fireworks at the helpless family as they tried to escape. The mom seriously fracturing her leg as she pushed her children over the wall to safety. An investigation into attempted murder has been opened. Mayor Vincent Jean Bron says there is no doubt they wanted to burn his house down. From the moment they understood there was someone inside, since some lights got switched on, far from stopping, on the contrary, they unleashed a salvo of mortar fire that was completely crazy. Security forces deployed more than 45,000 police across France on Sunday night. Meanwhile, a 24-year-old firefighter was tragically killed fighting a fierce blaze in an underground parking garage. Here, police search rioters for potential weapons. More of the so-called protesters are lined up as officers attempt to defuse potential sources of violence and arson. With a gun store looted in Marseille on Friday night, the stakes became even higher. A lack of respect for people and their property has been a common theme in these riots. Here, looters add insult to injury as a concerned owner checks their car. Police try to shut down looting. The tension is palpable, and the police seem determined to put an end to the destructive behavior. Emergency personnel try to right a car, but it will take a lot more to put the cities back into order after the thousands of fires, torched cars, and looted buildings. Regional President Valerie Pacrese believes the violence will subside in the coming days with the increased presence of troops and law enforcement. But what's happening? Uh, is ultra-violence by 
small groups of people that are very well organized and very well trained. Pekrese says they aim to defy the republic. And the republic will not yield and we will fight back. France's Ministry of Interior said the violence eased a bit on Sunday with about 160 people arrested. Perhaps the appeal of these moms from a Paris suburb calling for an end to the violence will be heard. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. GoFundMe accounts were set up for both the family of the officer who shot the teen and the family of the teen. Over $500,000 have been raised for the policeman's family and over $80,000 have been raised for the dead teen's mother. And as mentioned, it seems that the protests had settled down a bit last night. So we want to bring in Brandon Weikert now to break things down for us. He's a geopolitical analyst and senior editor at 1945.com. Good morning, Brandon. I want to start with this. What does it say about the state that France is in right now? Because we hear about these, these protests that turn violent every now and then. Yeah, well, it's not going well in France, and this is part of a larger coordinated uh, move. This is not just random protests, and the question that French authorities, and I would even say NATO and European authorities need to be asking is, what is the purpose of these uh, riots? And I think certainly what's at play here is uh, the decades-long European open uh, border policy, which has invited a lot of people into France, into Europe. But these European countries, notably France, are very bad at integrating these groups of people. And now you have a situation that's very combustible. And we all need to be asking ourselves, how does this end? And what is the purpose of these protests? Because again, this isn't just merely uh, people being upset over a killing. There's something more going on. This is socio-political as well. Also, what, what is the purpose um, in your yeah. eyes? Well, I think the first thing is, I think what you see here throughout France and throughout the rest of Europe where some of these riots are starting to spread is I think clearly you have, uh, frankly, an alien population that was not integrated very well into the, the larger society and they are now beginning to lash out. And so people talk about this being another possible French civil war. Um, I certainly think this is a conflict, but I don't even know if you could call this a civil war because neither the French government nor the pe most many of the people who are rioting really consider these rioters to be French. And so this is a part of a, sort of like a, a almost an invasion, you could say, uh, where a latent invasion where a group of people were brought in and they weren't integrated and now they're lashing out. So let me ask you this, because um, you don't hear from the other neighboring countries in Europe. For example, Germany, they accepted many, many immigrants. Sure. So compared to its neighboring countries, what, what, where is the difference there? Why is France seeing these violent outbursts? Well, France has been especially bad at integrating uh, the, the immigrants they bring in. Again, this isn't necessarily for me to say I, we should be opposed to immigration, but this is to say that a country that has immigration must be able to assimilate the people they bring in to a degree where those people don't feel like they're aliens in a strange land that will lash out. Uh, and certainly, uh, Germany does not treat their immigrants the way that France has. France does not integrate well the people they bring in. So let me ask this way then, what, what exactly do you think they are protesting? For, for example, a large chunk of the arrested are people below 18 years old, even as young as 13 years old. What does it say to you? Well, what it says is that we have a big problem here with that population where they come in and maybe their parents 
came originally and their parents are working, but the young people are dejected and they're not working and they're not being employed to the best of their ability, they think. So that creates this sort of hostility toward the government, toward the system there, and they're looking for a reason to lash out. And the killing of that, of that individual by the French police is merely the trigger point for these wider racial and ethnic and social tensions and religious tensions as well. Mm. Now, what is the French government doing and is it working? Well, the French originally didn't seem to know what to do, but now they are deploying, it seems like, some degree of force. But it might be one of those things where it's going to take a long time because this got so out of control. And in, by the way, there's a geopolitical angle to this. As the chaos erupts in France, and it looks like it might be spreading to some northern European countries as well that also have large Muslim immigrant populations. But as these, these erupt, be watching those Russian nuclear forces and Russian forces in Belarus to maybe do a big push into Ukraine because the West right now is distracted. And so there's definitely a geopolitical angle. And we have to be asking ourselves, is this some sort of coordinated attack or is this just randomly uh, inconvenient time? timing for the West, which is committed to supporting Ukraine. Mm, very interesting points. Well, thank you, Brandon Weikert. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And coming up, coverage of some weekend events, a Trump 2024 campaign rally in South Carolina and a parent rights summit in Philadelphia. And CIA Director William Burns says the recent mutiny by the Wagner Group in Russia has exposed the country's military weakness and provided a rare opportunity to create spies. And the White House is considering the idea of blocking some of the sun's light to fight climate change. Those stories after the break. Welcome back. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is visiting China this week. Yellen says she hopes to reestablish contact with Beijing and a new group of leaders. Yellen will travel to Beijing Thursday and will leave on Sunday. She is not expected to meet with Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping during her trip. Yellen will be the second member of President Biden's cabinet to travel to China in the past month. Secretary of State Antony Blinken visited Beijing in mid-June. Yellen says the U.S. is and will take actions to protect its national security interests, even if it imposes some economic costs. She also says it's important to discuss any disagreements to avoid misunderstandings. CIA Director William Burns said last month's mutiny in Russia was proving challenging to the Russian state. At a U.K. press conference Saturday, he said it shows President Putin's war in Ukraine is a strategic failure. NTD's Kost Temenes has more for us. At the address in shipping Norton, England, Burns went on to say that Russia exposed its military weakness, which will damage the Russian economy for years to come, while the NATO military alliance was growing bigger and stronger. It is striking that Prigozhin preceded his actions with a scathing indictment of the Kremlin's mendacious rationale for the invasion of Ukraine and of the Russian military leadership's conduct of the war. The impact of those words and those actions will play out for some time. A vivid reminder of the corrosive effect of Putin's war on his own society and his own regime. According to Burns, the mutiny was an internal Russian affair, adding the United States has had and will have no part in. In his speech, Burns also spoke about Sino-US economic relations. 
In today's world, no country wants to find itself at the mercy of a cartel of one for critical minerals and technologies, especially a country that has demonstrated the will and capacity to deepen and weaponize those dependencies. The answer to that is not to decouple from an economy like China's, which would be foolish, but to sensibly de-risk and diversify by securing resilient supply chains, protecting our technological edge, and investing in industrial capacity. Burns also added that this affection in Russia with the war in Ukraine was creating a rare opportunity to recruit spies, which the U.S. would seize and not let go to waste. Cost MNS, NTD News. The White House is thinking about using radical climate change techniques like artificially blocking sunlight as part of its climate change strategy. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the strategy that experts say can have devastating effects on the planet. It's called solar radiation modification. People also call it solar geoengineering. The goal is to prevent sunlight from speeding up global warming. The report says greenhouse gases warm the climate by blocking some outgoing radiation that would normally be emitted out to space, while the technique cools the climate by reflecting more of the radiation back to space. The report admits that the side effects of such a technique are now poorly understood and also warns about several potential negative consequences, like a rise in sea levels, acidification of oceans, and altering rain patterns. It could also affect vegetation, crop production, and coral reefs. Climate Depot's publisher Mark Morano called the idea radical and risky on Fox News. This is actually Bill Gates funding this as well through Harvard University. Okay. Murano says the effects are unknown and believes the government is using it as a lever over people. Darn it, people aren't buying electric cars fast enough or they're not embracing Green New Deal policies, so we have to risk our entire planet with this insane kind of research. The White House says its publishing of the report on the technique does not signify any change in policy or activity by the Biden-Harris administration. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Over the weekend, people from across the country gathered in Philadelphia to hear many thought leaders and prominent politicians speak on parents' rights. NTD's Jack Bradley brings us more on this event. I'm here at the Moms for Liberty National Summit in Philadelphia, where many people are gathering from across the country to hear policy on what they believe will benefit their children. Now, there are many presidential candidates who are Republican who spoke to a fired-up audience. And I spoke to one of them, former governor of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson. Here's what he told me that God created two genders and uh, there shouldn't be confusion. But if there is confusion by the children, then the parents are the one to guide and help that child. And it should not be the schools keeping information uh, from the parents, which we've seen in uh, California. We see New Jersey filing a lawsuit against the school district because they wanted to share information with a parent. This is unbelievable. After speaking to the audience, presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy said what he would do if elected president, and he shared his views on several topics. Here. We have to hold China accountable for their behaviors. I will tell Xi Jinping we are cutting the cord. Total decoupling unless you radically reform or the CCP is out. Those are the two options. And radical reform means no more data theft, IP theft, no more turning companies into pawns. The CCP will not buy land in this country, will not donate to universities in this country. Meanwhile, I had the opportunity to sit down with Tiffany Justice, the co-founder of Moms for Liberty. She said parents are uniting from different backgrounds to oppose these ideologies. 
The Epic Times has a new documentary. It's called uh, Gender Transformation, The Untold Realities. And it talks about how gender ideology is harmful for children. And so what is your organization doing about the gender ideology issue? So our moms uh, got educated on the issue. That was the first thing that we needed to do. We really needed to understand what was happening because parents have the fundamental right to direct the upbringing of their children. The American parents weren't being told the truth. They were told that puberty blockers were reversible. And that's not true. There are long-lasting effects for puberty blockers on children. I also had the opportunity to speak to many audience members. Here's what they said. And as far, could you give some examples of what you've seen in the classroom that's controversial? So books for uh, K-12, like uh, teaching gender pronouns, uh, gender neutral ideology, uh, CRT, th there was a lot of examples. And also the thing about hating America, like not talk, teaching neutral, like teaching their view uh, about racism. And I was very worried about that because in Brazil, that's how destroyed my country. They're very X-rated. And for a minor to be able to access these books, it's not appropriate. Our First Amendment right does not cover pornography. And I think it's an abuse of our First Amendment right. All of this radical progressivism that we're hearing about, the underpinnings are communist, okay? It's just, it's a chameleon. It changes its colors for whatever's going on, okay? Whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's transgenderism, whatever. It's about destroying the foundations so that it can rebuild it. There's over 700 attendees here, and we've all come together really for just this, you know, basic principle of fighting for our children and parental rights and parental involvement. And we believe that we shouldn't have to co-parent with the government. Now this movement appears to be growing of many parents banding together from across the country to stand up against such ideologies and promote traditional values. Jack Bradley, NTD News. And a group of protesters gathered outside of the Moms for Liberty event voicing opposition to the summit and the many Republican speakers in attendance. You can find speeches from the event on our website, ntd.com live. Former President Trump is back to holding large-scale rallies. Sweltering heat in South Carolina over the weekend didn't stop a massive crowd of supporters from gathering to hear the presidential candidate speak. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the rally. Trump held his second large 2024 campaign rally in Pickens, South Carolina on Saturday. The small city is home to around 3,400 people. Close to three quarters of Pickens County voters chose Trump over Biden in 2020. There's nowhere else I'd rather be to kick off the 4th of July weekend than right here. Welcome to Pickens. Home state Republican Senator Lindsey Graham was booed and called a traitor when he took the stage before Trump. Graham's team addressed the poor reception by putting out a statement saying it's not the first time he's been booed and it probably won't be the last. Local officials estimated over 50,000 people attended the rally. Many supporters traveled from out of state to be there. Temperatures climbed into the 90s throughout the day. Trump campaign volunteers handed out free bottled water. Officials say close to 50 people were treated for heat-related illness. Some were taken to the hospital. Trump talked about the many cases against him and accused President Biden of being compromised and corrupt. He promised to investigate him if re-elected. When I get back in office, I will appoint a real special prosecutor to investigate every detail 
of the Biden crime family of corruption. National polls have Trump leading the Republican primary race by a wide margin. A recent Reuters-Ipsos poll showed roughly 43% of Republicans prefer Trump as a candidate. 22% prefer Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Coming up soon, a social media troll factory owned by the Wagner boss has reportedly been shut down. It was allegedly used to influence public opinion in the U.S. and other countries. Get that story after the break. What does it mean to devote your life to the truth? Does it mean investigating communist subversion here in America? Does it mean exposing the deadly fentanyl crisis in the Midwest? Or spending late nights and covering deep government corruption? Because at a time when America's traditional values are under attack, it's the responsibility of righteous journalists to uphold truth and tradition. The stories that need to be told, the voices that need to be heard, the truth you need to see. Get unbiased and in-depth news. Don't miss a beat. I'm Stephanie Cox at NTD. We're here for you. What is China like really? Is it defined by its giant economy, an oppressive government, or its people? By the worst persecutors or the most courageous freedom fighters? We're lifting the veil to look at global impacts and how close the regime is to your doorstep. From eyewitnesses and analysts, get the facts. Here on China in Focus. Good morning again. It's almost 7.30 and we're going to Hong Kong for the next news. The police there on Monday accused eight overseas-based act activists of serious national security offenses, including foreign collusion and incitement, incitement to secession. Nathan Law is among the eight accused activists. One it notices have been issued with rewards of one million Hong Kong dollars each. The activists are based in various places, including the U.S., Britain, and Australia. They have been charged under a national security law that Beijing imposed on the former British colony in 2020. Police told a press conference that 260 people had been arrested under the national security law. 79 of them were convicted of offenses, including subversion and terrorism. British-based rights group Hong Kong Watch said in a statement that Britain, the U.S. and Australia should issue statements to, quote, guarantee the safety of those activists named and the wider Hong Kong community living overseas. And we're going to go over to Russia for a moment. A social media troll factory owned by Russian mercenary boss Evgeny Prigozhin has reportedly been shut down. It was allegedly used to influence public opinion in the U.S. and other countries. It's the latest fallout from the mutiny of the Wagner Group fighters in June. Here's the story. Russian news outlets are reporting that a social media troll factory owned by Yevgeny Prigozhin, the Russian mercenary leader, used to allegedly influence public opinion in the United States and other countries, has been disbanded following the stunning mutiny by Prigozhin and his Wagner Group fighters in Russia last month. The Commersant, a Russian newspaper, is also reporting that the government's communications watchdog is blocking media outlets linked to Prigozhin without elaborating. 
On Saturday, Reuters cameras spotted Wagner logos being removed from its corporate offices in St. Petersburg. The building was raided by authorities during the mutiny. It was opened only last year and dubbed a military technology center. The U.S. government and European Union have long accused Prigozhin of funding an organization known as the Internet Research Agency, which Washington says is a troll farm that tried to meddle in the 2016 presidential election. Prigozhin himself has previously admitted to interfering in U.S. elections and that he founded and financed the organization, although the Kremlin has always denied any interference. Separately, a media holding group owned by Prigozhin is said to have been shut down, according to the director of one of the news sites under its umbrella. It gave no reason for the move. The group, called Patriot Media, had a strong nationalist and pro-Kremlin stance it also provided positive coverage of Prigozhin and his mercenaries. Israel has approved the purchase of a third squadron of F-35 stealth fighter jets. The Ministry of Defense said yesterday the deal is worth $3 billion. The additional 25 aircraft manufactured by Lockheed Martin will bring the number of F-35s in Israel's Air Force to 75. The deal will be financed through the Defense Aid package Israel receives from the U.S. Israel was the first country outside the U.S. to acquire the F-35. In May 2018, its Air Force chief said Israel was the first to use the plane in combat. The Israeli ministry added that Lockheed Martin and engine manufacturer Pratt & Whitney have agreed to involve Israeli defense companies in the production of aircraft components. And now let's get to some short headlines from around the world. President Biden will travel to Europe on Sunday. The White House says the trip is largely focused on boosting NATO against Russia amid the Ukraine war. Biden's trip will begin in London to meet with King Charles and Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. He'll then head to Lithuania for a NATO summit. He also plans to visit Finland to commemorate the Nordic country's entrance into the 31-nation military alliance. President Vladimir Putin will participate tomorrow in his first multilateral summit since an armed rebellion rattled Russia. He's expected to meet Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping and Indian President Narendra Modi. Leaders will convene virtually for a summit of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. The security grouping founded by Russia and China is meant to counter Western alliances from East Asia to the Indian Ocean. A UK woman who lost out on a job for saying people cannot change their sex has been awarded $127,000 compensation. She was awarded the payout after an employment tribunal found she experienced discrimination and victimization at work. And coming up, Twitter will be temporarily limiting how many posts a user can read every day. And Chicago hosted its first NASCAR race over the weekend, and NASCAR debuted its first ever street course in its 75-year history. We have that story and more after the break. Welcome back. Twitter will be temporarily limiting how many posts a user can see every day. Elon Musk says that's over concerns of data scraping and system manipulation. Thousands of users reported an error message telling them they had exceeded their rate limit on Friday. The hashtags Twitter down and rate limit exceeded began trending, but the outage turned out to actually be a temporary policy change. Verified accounts are now limited to reading 10,000 posts a day. 
unverified accounts can read a thousand posts per day, and new accounts are limited to 500 posts a day. Musk says several hundred organizations were scraping Twitter's data and affecting user experience. UPS and the Teamsters have reached a tentative agreement over pay. However, while Teamsters President Sean O'Brien called the offer an improvement, in his words, we're still not there yet. The two sides have already agreed on some points, such as providing air conditioning and new delivery vehicles. UPS also met another demand, which is ending the two-tiered wage system. That's where part-time drivers earn less per hour than full-time drivers. The union has not decided what kind of pay increase it's looking for, but pointed to record UPS profits over the past five years and executives earning multi-million dollar salaries as reasons its members should be compensated better. In a tweet yesterday, the union said, in spite of major gains at the bargaining table, picketing will not let up. Getting room service might take a little longer than usual for some travelers in California this July 4th holiday. And there is another standoff which could play havoc with the entertainment industry for at least the next few months. Roughly 15,000 employees at 65 major hotels in the Los Angeles area walked off the job Sunday and are on strike. The union representing the workers says they've been in talks since April over issues including an immediate $5 per hour raise and better health care and retirement benefits. Among the hotels affected by the strike, the W Hollywood, Beverly Hilton, Sheraton Grand and the LA Grand. A Marriott spokesperson released a statement saying it will work toward a fair labor agreement and have protocols in place to keep their doors open. And speaking of strikes, plans for thousands of actors to join the picket line against studios and streaming services are now on hold until July 12th. If the Screen Actors Guild American Federation of Television and Radio Artists does go on strike, they would join 11,000 members of the Writers Guild of America who have already been on strike for two months. Meanwhile, the Writers Guild is nearing the nine-week mark in its dispute with the studios and streaming outlets. Now that tens of millions of Americans know that their student loans won't be forgiven, what's their best strategy? There are actually many great tips and important things to keep in mind when paying off loans to make the process easier and to save you money. NTD's Faye Quarter explains. It's time for many Americans to focus on paying off their student loans. First step would probably be kind of evaluate your financial position. You know, see if you're able to look at refinancing options for a different rate. Um, if you can get lower than kind of the federal rate, then that would be a good first step, at least seeing your options. Um, additionally, if, if, you, if you can afford to, maybe start paying off some of your loans now. This will help chip away at the principal. Mick McClaverty is the CEO of Highway Benefits, a firm that helps companies contribute to their employees' student loan payments. He says that the more you chip away at the principal, the less you pay in interest. But of course, in order to have money to do that, you need to keep track of your finances. A budget and taking a look at money's coming into your household, money's going out. And what does that look like? Are you cash flow positive every month or cash flow negative? Lawrence Sprung is the founder of Midland Financial. He says that if you don't have enough positive cash flow, you should eliminate expenses, such as subscriptions. And if you're still in school, it's very important to consider which field you're studying. It might be uh, worth considering whether a degree in a field that has a relatively low job prospect uh, is worth continuing. So, for example, getting a, uh, a graduate degree in poetry, it's a very, very thin job market. 
uh, whereas a, a degree in accounting or business or some of the STEM fields uh, does tend to be much more lucrative. Bill Magnus is an economist at the American Institute for Economic Research. He says having a more lucrative job will make it easier to pay back your loans in the future. Faye Quarter, NTD News. I got to say, those are some pretty good tips. Yeah, very useful. All right, and tomorrow, as we already established, is July 4th. That means fireworks and barbecue, but at the same time, we're going through a heat wave. To get some tips on how to protect yourself from the heat, I spoke with a cardiologist to find out what symptoms to look for and how to stay healthy. Joining us now for more on this is cardiologist Dr. Fami Farah. Good morning, doctor. With this heat wave in Texas right now, how would you advise people to stay healthy during this time? Good morning, thanks for having me. Yes, this is a very hot time of the year, especially in Texas, temperatures rising as high as 115 with heat index, dangerously high temperature to be exposed outdoors. So my advice, first of all, would be to minimize your outdoors, outdoor exposure, stay hydrated, and if you're experiencing like, you know, hyperthermia, remove yourself from that heat and call for help. Mm. So what are some of the specific symptoms or signals from our bodies that we should pay attention to while we're outside and then we should react to? Uh, some of the common symptoms would be extreme fatigue, uh, feeling lightheaded or dizzy, uh, and the sense of feeling like you're going to pass out. Any of those uh, should alarm you to seek help and to get yourself out of that heat and start hydrating and cooling off. Oh, those are very important points. Now, I understand that you are in Texas, right? So how, what, what is your experience these days? Have you been seeing more patients recently with that heat wave or any changes in your, in your daily work at the moment? Um, we've been noticing some subtle changes. Uh, you know, I am a cardiologist, so I see patients in the clinic primarily. And a lot of patients are coming in with really high blood pressure and elevated heart rate. And I asked them what happened. This is very different from before. And they'll say, I just came from the outside heat. So yes, we do see an immediate effect uh, on your health, especially in your vital signs with blood pressure and heart rate. Oh, wow. Okay. And on top of this, now many areas um, have air quality warnings still from the smoke coming from Canada. Now, how can we protect ourselves here? Uh, yes, air pollution definitely is a concern. And I will say that air pollution does play a role in your overall health and especially your cardiovascular health. It does increase the risk of having coronary artery disease and heart attack and things like that. So very important to minimize that exposure. Staying out indoors is the key, especially in areas that are highly affected like the north and the northeast. Um, how much exposure will lead to those serious health issues? You know, like when will we actually start seeing serious health issues when we are live when we are living in those areas? So there's a twofold answer to this. One is that uh, there is an immediate impact uh, that could happen with not very long of an exposure, like 15 to 20 minute exposure can cause somebody to have some of the symptoms that I described earlier, but it can also lead to something called heat stroke. That's in the, you know, in the acute setting. Heat stroke is a very scary thing. It's when our body goes into hyperthermia and we can have end organ damage. So we can sustain damage to our kidneys, liver, heart, all of those things. And it can lead to something like 
you know, passing out, cardiac arrest, heart attack, all of those scary things. Uh, but then there's a cumulative effect, and this has to do more with air pollution. That usually takes a little bit of time. So over a course of years, it can have that lingering effect on your heart and your coronary artery system and accelerate that plaque building process. Thank you so much, Dr. Femi Farah. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me, it was my pleasure. Chicago hosted its first NASCAR race over the weekend, and NASCAR debuted its first ever street course in its 75-year history. Let's hear what drivers and fans had to say. In his NASCAR debut on Sunday, Shane Van Gisbergen from New Zealand won NASCAR's inaugural street race in Chicago. Before this year, NASCAR has only raced on permanent road courses. Sunday's pouring rain before the race made the new course even more challenging and cut the 100-lap race short. Chase Elliott finished third in the Cup Series race. It, it was difficult to find areas to pass, some of the areas that he might could have made a move that were still a little wet, so it was it was kind of risk versus reward. But as always, the people who do a better job than others tend to find their way to the front. You saw that today with Shane. Kyle Larson finished fourth. I think had conditions been dry the whole race, I think there would have been less probably um, issues there. But you know, it made it it made it sketchy and and uh, put on it made it difficult for us, which is yeah, sometimes good. The 12-turn, 2.2-mile-long street race attracted tens of thousands of fans. Marty Grunder from Dayton, Ohio, has been to several races in the past. Oh, it's very exciting. It's a road race, so the vantage point's a little bit different. You don't get involved in all of the action, but a lot of fun. Have my family with here. We're enjoying it immensely. It's a great, great show. It's Lauren Otto's first time watching a NASCAR race. She likes the race with Chicago's skyline as the backdrop. And the course looked really cool. It's a beautiful part of the city, so just I didn't really have any expectations about the race, but it's been a lot of fun, so I've loved watching the cars. Otto's friend Tiffany from Cincinnati agrees. We are big fans of racing. We think it's great that Chicago is having a street race. We love what the city and NASCAR are doing together. NASCAR will have two more seasons in Chicago as part of the three-year contract with the city. We'll come back, yes, absolutely. This has been a blast. The race is expected to bring $113 million in economic impact and $3.2 million in tax revenue to Chicago. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News Chicago. More fun stuff coming up. NTD's sister media celebrated the nation's birthday over the weekend at an outdoor festival in upstate New York. Stay tuned for that story when we come back. Good to have you back. The nation's birthday is coming up, and in preparation, NTD's sister media celebrated over the weekend at an outdoor festival in upstate New York. Yes, the America the Beautiful Festival celebrated all things American, including classic cars, country music, and of course, a barbecue. Let's take a look. Rock and country music sounds echo through a verdant valley in Port Jervis, New York, over the weekend. People from all walks of life feasted at the America the Beautiful Festival. They were there to celebrate the heritage of American culture in advance of July 4th. We really wanted to honor this great country. Um, so we wanted to honor the beautiful culture, the beautiful heritage, and also honor the, the veterans, the military, the people who have sacrificed so much 
In addition to the music, one could find a classic car show, Revolutionary War era displays, a historic color flag guard, and educational workshops on American culture and heritage. Among the musicians were some great names like Danny Grigo, Julie Roberts, Keith Anderson, Alan Mack Myers Moore, and Cold Weather Company. Donna Palermo and her friends came on their bikes all the way from New York City. It's, it's beautiful. I love it. I've never been here before, and I'll definitely be back. In addition to beer and burgers, Chinese culinary delights were also available. This gave the festival an international flair. So far, the food is delicious with all the Chinese or the, uh, I don't really even know, the, I guess, Chinese food, which is different. It's, but again, I love their typical hamburger, hot dog, pizza, but this is a little different. So it's, it's nice that you have variety and you have a chance to venture out and try something new. The Epic Times, a co-organizer of the event, attracted many subscribers of the newspaper among the visitors. Well, I came here because uh, I've been a reader of the Epic Times. I appreciate the truthfulness of their reports and the alternative nature of their uh, their coverage. So I wanted to see if I could come out and check out their first festival and be around some like-minded people. Everyone is very welcoming. A lot of free thinkers here. A lot of people who you know, have a lot of good ideas that I think will help help shape the country. The two-day celebration ended with an impressive fireworks display. Wow. It's pretty nice that people came out, even though there were these air quality warnings. Oh, yeah, that yeah. can be really hard on the lungs and mm -hmm. the eyes. Yeah, and I really like that guy's uh, costume. The colonial costume was oh, really yeah. cool to see that. Hey, did you go? Uh, no, I didn't. Actually, I was out jet skiing with my wife for my Oh, birthday. really? Oh, my gosh, that's fun. Yeah, it was cool. We were about 50 miles an hour on that thing. Mm, nice. Yeah, cool. a lot of wind. <laughs> In the Hudson River or New No, York? that was on Long Island. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. All right. Good Maybe scenery. I'll do that one day, too. you got to give me some tips. On, yeah. Okay. That's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. So shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.